RPN, the Roddenberry Podcast Network. Well, well, well. Tuesday night, so many places to go. But here you are with us, your Star Trek pals. It's Mission Log Live. I'm John Champion. And normally at this time, I would kick it over to my co-host, Ken Ray. Unfortunately, Ken had a family concern tonight, which prevents him from joining us. He will be back, though. We wish everyone well in the meantime. Tonight, the third episode of Short Treks has dropped, that being The Brightest Star, written by Bo Yun Kim and Erica Lippold. We'll talk about that episode after a short recap. But first, I want to invite all of you to click on the link to join our Zoom meeting, or you can use the one tap from your smartphone. What I'm saying is give us a call, 669-900-6833, 669-900-6833. Then enter the meeting code you'll find in the show description and in the comments. This show is about you. And your comments, your questions, your opinions, join us. And when I say us, well, it's time to introduce tonight's special guest. All the way from an undisclosed location, Dan Davidson and Bill Smith have been cranking out a show that is definitely not Mission Log. You know them by the name on their birth certificates, The Trek Geeks. Dan, Bill, welcome to the show. John, thank you so much. Great to be here. Thank you for uh, for finding a way to have us fill in for nobody else who would show up. We appreciate yeah. it. <laughs> really, it's a struggle every week to get guests. And uh, once we've hit the bottom of that list, well, there's only one person to call. In this case. <laughs> well, I'm, uh, I'm very happy to be here. Thank you so much, John. And I will apologize up front for anything that Bill says. <laughs> That's fair. It's kind of how your working relationship goes, right? <laughs> That's I mean, right. Yeah, that's 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 nothing new for 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 either of you. Uh, Well, I can't wait to get into the discussion tonight. I do want to say hello to the people who are joining us for the chat. We've got Kim. We've got Rick, Carlos, Josh, James, Benjamin, uh, Barry and uh, Robert, David. So many people who like to stop by and say hello. Guys, I'm counting on you to call in because I think we've got a very interesting topic tonight. Very interesting episode to discuss Looking forward to getting into that with Dan and Bill. So before we do that, though, I'd like to tell you all what is coming up for the live show and for Mission Log. Now, just one more short trek to discuss on January 8th. Then on January 15th, we welcome our friends from Two Guys, One Track. Then Discovery comes roaring back for season two on January 17th. As long as there is new disco, we'll do a breakdown on this show with your comments, with guests. Join us. It's kind of a party. Plus, we have more VR events coming up in Sansar, our final round, the Tournament of Champions, or Tournament of John Champions, if you're me. It is this Thursday, December 13th. And then we've got screenings that we're planning for early next year. We have a list of shows to share with you. Then we'll welcome special guests into the VR space to answer your questions and share their stories, all for free and open to those of you who log in at Sansar.com. You can do that with the headset, an Oculus Rift or HTC Vive, or if you don't have a VR rig, you can still access it all from your PC as long as it's running Windows 7 or later. The place for more info and to sign up for your free account is sansar.com. That's S-A-N-S-A-R.com. We hope to see you there. Now, every week we do a poll. Last week, we welcomed Brian Ward as our guest. We talked a little bit about the psychology of Star Trek and Star Wars and Batman and all kinds of pop culture. We asked you, who has worse daddy issues? Is it Spock or is it Luke Skywalker? Well, 27% of you said Spock. 73% of you said Luke Skywalker. I think I have to... I think I have to fall down on the side of Spock on this. Dan, Bill, any strong feelings there about daddy issues? Uh, Spock I, or Luke? I can't think of anyone who would have worse daddy issues than Luke. I mean, Darth <laughs> Vader. Um, yeah. I, Bill, you, can anybody higher than Luke on your list? I, I, I definitely agree with that poll. I'm actually coming down on the side of Spock on this one because um, <laughs> I'm Spock. Spock has so many daddy issues. He doesn't even want to tell his friends who his father is. I mean, at least everybody knows that Darth Vader is Luke's father by the time Return of the Jedi comes around. Mm. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I also feel like, you know, with Darth Vader, there, there's a redemption there. We had a beautiful, touching moment with the mask coming off, and it was really just some outside influence. He always knew there was good in him with with Spock and Sarek, and, and Sarek lives to like 200 years old, and Spock is becoming an old man. Just the whole time, it's this icy, glaring, we won't connect with each other no matter what. I, I mean, oh, at least Luke and Vader, they got it out. You know, at least they just were able to get it all out at some point. Jedi hugs for everybody. Jedi hugs. Nice. Now, this week, because we're talking about a Saru episode, we ask you, should Saru be the next captain of the Discovery? I think that this is a question that might even come back later as Discovery goes on. Uh, Right now, 58% of you saying yes, 42% of you saying no. Dan, Bill, any strong feelings there? I I'm going to go with yes. Uh, I actually I, I voted in the poll. Uh, true confessions here on Mission Log Live, <laughs> and uh, I, I really feel like that he he's earned it at this point. I feel like he's demonstrated the courage worthy of a starship captain. I'm sure we'll talk a little bit about his evolution tonight. But uh, Dan, I could imagine that you probably have some similar thoughts, or maybe you're going to surprise me. No, I'm not going to surprise you at all. I definitely think he should be captain. I think the speech that he gave at the end of season one shows the growth that Saru had over the course of the year. He was able to put his um, issues with Burnham behind him, and then he was able to rally the crew um, to be able to complete the mission. So I definitely I was expecting him to be named the captain at the end of season one. Um, So I would definitely vote for him to be captain of uh, of the old USS Disco uh, going forward. Nice. By the way, uh, just some interesting comments here from listeners. Um, I I love that uh, John says Sarek screwed up three kids that we know of. (laughs) Not wrong. You're not Not wrong. wrong. And then uh, uh, Robert says, I'm enjoying this live episode of the Trek Geeks featuring Mission Log. (laughs) So nice. Very nice. nice of you to say, Robert. Uh, uh, yeah. All right. <laughs> Let's move on to the recap so we can get into the meaty, meaty discussion of this week's episode of Short Tracks. Gentlemen, if you'll indulge me for just a moment. Dawn on a planet full of Kelpians where they are. Uh, oh, oh, OK. They are literally farming kelp because uh, Kelpians uh, uh, kelp. Cool. One of those Kelpians is familiar to us. He's Saru. And in voiceover, we hear a description of his life. The others like him go about their lives and answer the call of the Ba'ul, a spacefaring race that drops by this planet from time to time. When the Ba'ul come, it's time for a few Kelpians to line themselves up to be taken as prey by those much more powerful hunters. Except Saru isn't quite like the others. He has an innate curiosity. He looks at the stars with awe and wonder. After one such episode of Kelpians being taken, a piece of the Baul ship is left behind, and Saru's father, a priest, says that technology must be destroyed. The whole process, the harvesting of Kelpians, is part of the great balance. It mustn't be met with questions. Except Saru questions it. He wants to know if there are others out there. And if there are, why can't the Kelpians one day be among the stars as well? You know he doesn't get rid of the technology like his father asked, right? No. Saru keeps it, hides it, and does what he can in the dead of night. It's a transmitter, and he just wants to say hello to whomever is listening. Over time, he keeps checking for a reply until one day a hello comes back. Saru tests the waters with his family a bit. He asks his father what would happen if he were to be taken next season. Yeah, uh, fine. That's pretty much how it goes, says the old man. Hmm. Starting to sound like he wouldn't be missed. Saru contemplates his life there. Surely there must be more to it than just waiting out to pick up kelp all day than waiting to be um, eaten. Another message comes in, this time a new one, today. When Saru and his sisters set out, he says he wants to watch the stars a little longer and that she should go home. A little longer and something comes from the stars, a ship. And from that ship, another familiar face emerges. It's Lieutenant Philippa Georgiou. She greets Saru 
impressed that he is the only Kelpian who has had the intelligence to use technology to contact Starfleet. She offers to take him with her, but at a price. He won't be able to come back. Saru struggles with the prospect. He'd leave everyone and everything he has known for a life unknown. Except this is Saru we're talking about. And the next thing his sister and we see is a shuttle with Starfleet's newest friend leaving this planet for good. The end. I've written more than my share of recaps for discovering Trek, and that, sir, was just mellifluous. Nicely done. Oh, oh man, I I thank you for that. I I have to say, writing a recap for a 15-minute show, boy, that is easier than writing a recap for an hour. (laughs) Yeah. I have to to echo uh, Bill's comments. As a matter of fact, uh, I'm thinking of getting rid of the person who usually does the recaps on discovering Trek, and there's an opening for you, Mr. John Champion. (laughs) Well, thank you. I'm sure we can come to an agreement. Sure, we can work out. I'm right here. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Sorry. Oh, oh, hi. 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 Yeah. Um, it, it's interesting. You know, uh, right away in the chat, John is saying the brightest star is perfect Star Trek distilled down to its essentials. I, I wonder, guys, it, you know, I watched the last two. Obviously, we discussed them on the show. I know that you guys discussed them on your show. Um, I was a big fan of the first two. I'm a fan of this one as well, but I'm a fan of this one for a different reason. Uh, can you tell us, I, I know, Bill, you had some strong feelings about the first two. You were not as big a fan. I'm curious where you land on on this one. Um, you're right. The, the first two, I I just I didn't get a good vibe from. I felt that they were more B plots that they tried to turn into short treks episodes, and they weren't necessarily constructed very well, even as B plots. Um, I thought that the first one was a little better than the second one, but I think this one, much to the chat message you just read, is is pretty close to perfect Star Trek. This story on its own could be its own hour long A story with no B story. It's not solid. Um, it, plus, I think it speaks to the heart of Star Trek. I mean, it, it's about being something better than you think you may be. And I, I think what one of us doesn't hope for that at some point. Yeah, I, I have to agree. Um, I was lukewarm uh, on, on the first Short Treks. I disliked the second one completely. I was not a fan of it. I thought you could have thrown that story into Battlestar Galactica or any Star Wars ship or Space 1999, and it would have been the exact same story. The only reason it was Star Trek is because it took place on the discovery that for some unknown reason was a thousand years in the future. But if we look towards this episode, like Bill said, for me, this was a perfect example of the Star Trek story that we've been waiting for with short treks. And I have to credit Bowie and Erica for an unbelievable writing job to bring pure Star Trek into this short 15 minute episode. I thought it was brilliant. Interesting. Uh, by the way, uh, Carlos says, and then Giorgio ate all the other Kelpians. <laughs> Ouch. <laughs> Too Fricassee. soon. Yeah. Fricassee. <laughs> Too soon. Too yeah. soon. Too yeah. soon. <laughs> Um, I, there was something about it. I, I really enjoyed it. Uh, a, because yeah, I think there was a heart there about looking beyond and, and about questioning authority and all, all these kind of hallmarks that I, I feel like are definitely true to, uh, a very old style of Star Trek, which was neat. But I also feel like, um, not to say that this is good or bad. I also feel like what's interesting here is just being very precise about a backstory about a character, which I don't think we've ever really done on Trek before. We, we get little hints of, of uh, characters from time to time. I, you guys know that I'm a big fan of the motion picture and I'm a fan of telling Spock's story over that 25 year arc. Uh, but even then, just sort of being on Vulcan for that moment and seeing him go through Kolinar, try to go through Kolinar, it informs the bits and pieces that we've gotten before. This is the first time I can think of where we just focus with precision on this one aspect of this one character to really figure out who he is. You know, you know John, I know you're a big food guy, so I, I'm oh, going to really? color it. Yeah, I know. I, it's amazing. <laughs> I'm going to color it this way. I kind of view this episode as a bit of an amuse-bouche for a return to this planet that we're allegedly supposed to get during season two. Uh, I think that we need to know this part if indeed we are going back as part of the season two plot. Uh, 
Now, granted, at the end of this episode, Saru is told he must never go back, which seems to be Star Trek code for, oh, we're going back, baby. And (laughs) I I have to think that there's going to be some... I think this could be one of Saru's greatest tests, going back and facing either his father or his sister, or maybe both, and explaining why he left. I, I think that may be the toughest thing he's ever had to do. Yeah. You know, it's, it's interesting, John, you, you talked about um, the motion picture and, and you're such a Spock story fan. The one thing I kept writing down when I was watching uh, this episode, and I wrote it down several times and I talked about it a little bit on discovering Trek is this episode to me had a perfect callback to the motion picture. When Spock was in sick Bay talking to Kirk, when he said, is this all that I am? Is there nothing more? And I think that, I don't know if it was purposely done uh, by the writers to have that callback, but that's the first thing that stood out in my mind. And it's the thing that stood out the most uh, during all of the discussions we've had about this episode over the course of the last week. Uh, I want to remind people to uh, to call in 669-900-6833. I'm seeing some really interesting comments go by in the chat, and I would love to hear your voice, and I'm sure that Dan and Bill would like to meet you as well. Uh, it, it was a strong episode, and I also feel like, you know, Saru is just a strong character who is a real breakout on that show, whether by accident or design. Uh, certainly, it, it's made easier by the very strong talents of, uh, of Doug Jones, who is just incredible in everything that he does and is just an elegant and delightful man in real life. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know that you guys have both had encounters with him and, and he's just great. Um, there's something that I, I, I took several notes on this, but the, there was something that I, I have felt in all the short treks, which is that each one, has found the ability to hit some strong emotional notes that I feel like we don't always get in our long trek. Now, it's a little unfair for me because here I am watching Discovery when it's on, but then every week I'm deep diving into our long trek from 25 years ago, 30 years ago, wherever it is that we've kind of landed, right? Um, but they're really making a point in these short treks to find the heart and just really nail it. And there were three moments in this that I wrote down. First of all, was Saru just trying to express himself to his family. There was something very, very sincere and very uh, relatable to that, I I think, to anybody. He desperately wants to have this connection, this understanding with his family that he's just not going to get. There's another strong moment that I felt very emotional, him saying goodbye to his sister he knows what's going on. He's clearly playing the subtext there. She doesn't. And there's something heartbreaking about that. E- even if there's maybe something she suspects, she doesn't know the reality of what's going on there. And then obviously, Saru making that decision with Giorgio. And they they played it great, cutting back to the their little village. And then him deciding, you see the ship fly off, um, which I wondered, by the way, that ship flying off and his sister watching it going, oh, wait. That, that those weren't the Baul. Uh, there are more out there. So if you just violate a prime directive thing by that happening, I don't know. Maybe your suspicion that we will come back to that planet is very true. <laughs> One thing, uh, John, as you were just talking, I want to do a little bit of play on words with you. Um, you said that there were some emotional notes in this episode. And for me, that was literally emotion. There was something that was emotional notes that really, started me tearing up and that's when Saru decided he was going to leave and they decided to put the TOS fanfare music in while he was making that decision. I thought that that was the perfect tribute to TOS because this story at the at its very heart was a, was an amazing TOS like story. Yeah. Couldn't agree with you more. Hey, we have a caller waiting. We have Daniel on the line. Daniel, are you there? I'm here. Can you hear me? Absolutely, Daniel, loud and clear. Uh, nice to have you join us tonight. And uh, what's your comment or question for us? Well, so so my question was, so the Kelpians, you know, as we all know, they, they evolved to sense the coming of death. But then in the show, you know, you don't really see them sense when the thing starts lighting up and having the Ba'ul show up. And then <clears throat> I'm also curious as to why they evolved when, it, when apparently they just sort of sacrifice themselves rather than, you know, running away or whatever they're like they're supposed to. 
<laughs> uh, guys, I, I have some thoughts on that, but I'll, I'll let our guests go first here. Yeah. Well, I mean, hey, Daniel, first, thanks for calling in. Um, second, we we assume that that could be what happened. I've chosen to approach it as, you know, what if this sort of harvest uh, um, ceremony is more like transporting them to the Hunger Games? What if that wasn't a big suicide chamber? What if that was a big transportation device that takes them to the hunt or like the futuristic equivalent of a fox hunt? where they are then released in a field of play, if you will, and then become part of the hunt. And then the other thing I would say is that before the, the big white light, you know, and after the ground started shaking, their threat ganglia did all deploy. So, I mean, they sensed something was amiss, but it, they, you know, didn't, it didn't happen until necessarily the last moment. Yeah, I got to agree with that, too. And, and uh, as Bill said, Dan, thanks for calling in. I noticed Saru's father looked very uneasy during that entire ritual. I don't know if it was because he's seen it so many times and he knew what was about to happen and it just breaks his heart or if he was legitimately afraid. But as Bill said, um, all of them had their threat ganglia popping out. And I did like how Saru had it uh, showing a little bit when the shuttle landed. I thought that was very interesting, too. Uh, along with what Bill said, I've kind of wondered if when they're transported, they're just transported to another way of life. Um, not so much a hunt, but maybe the Ba'ul are, are introducing them into a new form of society, which is kept super secret from the rest of uh, the Kelpian uh, race. So, I mean, there's so many. I mean, we had some questions answered during this episode, but we also had some questions pop up. And I think that was one of them for me. I, uh, I I admire your optimism there, Dan. Um, <laughs> I, uh, it, it's interesting that they would introduce them as a prey species. But all that we've gotten so far is just what we've heard from Saru. And, and the, the same thing, Daniel, kind of going back to your question here about uh, their fear response and this, uh, the uh, sensing death. We only have that in one direction. We, on, we only have that coming from Saru. And, and it's not to say that this is an accurate or inaccurate read on the part of the Kelpians. I think it's just a more interesting look at this is their default. This is how they see the world. So whatever it is that's coming toward them, they get spooked by anything and their, their immediate reaction is to run away. Now, it's an interesting idea here that it, it is sort of baked into their evolution. Apparently, this is just something that they do. The threat ganglia is a part of them and it, it reacts and they respond to that. Um, but I think the other really interesting aspect of this episode is the power of belief that they have all bought in to this idea that this is how life is simply because their ancestors said it was simply because their belief structure is about it. And you just don't question it. That's just the way it is. I thought about some other classic science fiction. Well, I thought about TOS, a taste of Armageddon. Um, it's a computer telling everybody that they just have to line up and off themselves and nobody bothers to question it. Nobody bothers to say, oh, really, is can't there be more to life than this that we just decide we're not going to be this? The other one that I brought up on our show many times, another classic 70s science fiction piece, Logan's Run. Because every, yeah, right. <laughs> everybody had buy-in on that, that this is how our society is structured. And you don't question that at 30 or in the books at 21, you have to off yourself. That's the way it is. And, and you, you frame it in this poetic, quasi-religious way. Well, you'll be reborn. It'll be better. Or in this case, you're bringing balance. So it's your duty to do this thing. And if that's all you know, then that's all you know. You have to leave it to the one guy to break out of that. Um, it, it's sort of like uh, Kirk telling Spock in the Mirror Universe, you know, one man can start a revolution. So maybe Saru is that guy. It's also like, uh, isn't it a taste of Armageddon where there's the computer that says, hey, all you guys are dead. Report to the <clears throat> death, yep. death chamber, whatever it is. Yep, <laughs> that, definitely. That is that is the one. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> although I, um, although I had a positive aspect about it when I just talked about it a moment ago, one of the episodes that popped into my mind while watching this was from TNG and that was half a life. 
and how Timison's people, when they reached that certain age, it was time for them to go down or go back to the planet and have a ritualistic death. Now, I don't think the Kelpians were age uh, uh, selected uh, based on what we saw in that one uh, um, culling, I guess you could call it. Um, but that did pop into my mind as well. Yeah. Um, but Daniel, anything else for us tonight before you uh, before you head on? No, no. Thanks for uh, having me on. I'm a newer fan of the show and a newer Star Trek fan, and it's really great to see all the you know how oh, cool the universe is. So. Well, well, hey, what what brought you into Trek? Uh, well, so I watched Enterprise when it first aired, and then I sort of, you know, left it after that. And then I was kind of tired of this dystopian future, you know, that's all dark, death and darkness. And there was Star Trek that was, you know, giving a better world now. So, you know, come back to that, and it's it's so much better. Wow. All right. Well, welcome uh, as a fan, and, and, and thanks for stopping by Mission Log, and uh, we hope to see you again. Oh, yeah, definitely. Thanks. Take care. Hey, um, I, I wonder, we touched on this just for a second. Uh, the idea that uh, now Starfleet has known about the Ba'ul and about the Kelpians. And now you've got the one Kelpian who's going off to join Starfleet. And he's learned about the bigger universe beyond the, the narrow scope that he's had so far. But because Giorgio knows about the Baul and knows about the Kelpians, is everyone at Starfleet just like, uh, yeah, the Baul, they're, they're cool. They, uh, they eat a sentient species, uh, pretty much like they're Skittles, uh, but they're cool. So we can hang and have a dialogue with them. Uh, taste the rainbow, John. Taste the rainbow. Yeah. 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 Uh, yeah, it's a little weird. I mean, you know, with any of these stories, I mean, even with an hour long episode of Trek, there's some things you just sort of have to go. Yeah. OK. And I suppose in this one, that's one of them. I mean, uh, 20 years ago, as we record this here in, in 2018, 20 years ago today, Star Trek Insurrection hit theaters and the Sona in that movie are almost as unsavory as the Ba'ul, or at least is what we're led to believe. And yet they sort of let the Baku go on their own way. And we know about them both. But here we are assisting the Sona to relocate these people. So I suppose it maintains that parallel uh, at the very least. I've always been, well, since this episode aired a week ago, I've been wondering when we will see them because I'm pretty sure we're going to see them at some point. It may not be right away, um, but I think we're going to be returning to Kaminar this season as we've already talked a little bit. Um, but I think after that, I for a while would be very interested to see the Ba'ul. And I agree with you, John. What is Starfleet? You know, they're supposed to be, you know, the guardians of peace and, and all that stuff. It is a little surprising, so it'll be interesting to see if we do see them, which I hope we do later on down the road. And yeah, I would, I, I, oh, go ahead. I would say I would like to point out we've hit almost the halfway point of this episode, and there has not been a single your face joke. So, um, Ooh, I, wow. yeah, okay. I, I'm, yeah, I'm falling behind. I'm starting to get a little, you know, fidgety here. <laughs> um, I, I feel like at some point we have to start insulting each other in order for it to really seem like track gigs. So, mm-hmm. yeah. I just wanted to throw that in. Okay, good. Thank you for that. Uh, speaking of coming up on the uh, halfway mark, I do want to remind our listeners uh, when you're done with this show, stay on Facebook and catch the live recording of Priority One, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. So every Tuesday at 11.15 Eastern, 8.15 Pacific-ish, it might be half past, uh, you're going to see Elijah, Kenna, and Tony bring you news from all over the Star Trek multiverse. It'll be TV and movie news, gaming news, literary reviews, plus a whole lot more. Now, they kick off just a little bit after our show every Tuesday night, live on Facebook, so, uh, you know, don't touch that dial or, or close that tab or open a new tab. You know, whatever. You're in front of your computer. You'll figure it out. Go over to Facebook and look for Priority One, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. They will be streaming live, facebook.com slash Priority One podcast. Remember, if you would like to join tonight's conversation with me and Dan and Bill from Trek Geeks, you will call us. At. Oh, wait a minute. I lost the number. <laughs> oh, I've got it right here for you, Ken. Or you can click on the Zoom link or you can use the one tap from your smartphone and it will enter that meeting code for you. How convenient isn't technology amazing? 
So, uh, Bill, you released the other day the big announcement that you are going to be writing an article for StarTrek.com. Oh, did I, did, I, did I say something out of turn here? No, 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 not at all. Not at all. Okay. You're doing an article for StarTrek.com about Saru. I want to talk a little bit about how that came to be. I don't want you to give away anything, obviously, on the article. You're still working on that date of publication is TBA, right? Yep. TBA. I assume it's going to be either just before or just after the release of of Season 2 of Discovery. Um, I kind of had this idea, and it's been mulling through my brain for quite a while. And and on Trek Geeks, at times we get personal and we talk about our life experiences. Certainly, Dan Dan has been on with you guys on the Mission Log Supplemental talking about how Star Trek has impacted his life. But um, I, I went through a period of my childhood where I suffered years of mental abuse from a trusted adult. And as a result, uh, as an adult now, for the last decade or so, I've had to deal with uh, anxiety. And I, I've never really had to, to deal with that before. So as I've you know been on this journey and as I've started to watch Star Trek Discovery and I've become a huge fan of it, I find that I, I have a lot in common with Saru because anxiety sort of affects you in very much the same way that his sort of spider sense does, which is kind of what I refer to the threat ganglia as. Um, and, and that gave me the idea to, to perhaps pen a piece about how Saru teaches us about our anxieties and using mine as a particular example. So I, I came up with the idea. I pitched it to CBS and they said they were looking for that kind of content. And so they said, go forth and write, young man. And so I am in the... I've drafted my, my first copy and I'm sort of editing for revision now. And um, at some point I will turn it into them. But uh, now I kind of have to revise a little bit after this particular Short Treks episode because I think it tells us a lot about Saru's courage. Um, it's, you know, I have, I have five sisters and I adore them. And I can't imagine leaving a single one of them, let alone all five of them. Um, so when Saru leaves Serana and decides to get on that shuttlecraft, um, I, I, I think I understand on some level the kind of torture he must have felt inside. I want to be more than what I am, but yet, you know, here's my family, here's my home, here's people that I love. And, and that's a huge decision. And, you know, I, I think part of the misnomer is that people with anxiety just become frozen and paralyzed. Now, there are times where we make big decisions and sometimes we're forced into them and, and we do the best we can. So I think there's a lot of real world value in what Saru tells us and teaches us. Uh, and that's kind of what I'm trying to channel into the piece I'm writing. I, um, I just want to, to, to make mention here since we're, since we're live, you know, I've known Bill for, for 20 plus years and um, I've seen the anxiety that, that he has. And I think that doing something like this, it's an uncomfortable situation. It probably causes anxiety in itself. And I've had similar situations and for him to be able to do something like this and put it out for the entire world to see is huge kudos to him. Because as I've said with my situation, as long as what I do or what Bill does if it can help one person, it's all worth it. So I want to give a big thumbs up to him uh, here on Mission Log Live, John, for doing something like that. I think it's a tremendous contribution that he's going to be doing for StarTrek.com. Now you're going to make me tear up. That's uh, no, that, that sincerely, that is a, for people who don't know, for people who are not familiar with Trek Geeks, um, there's something really special about what you guys do. Um, you know, I'm very proud of Mission Log and Ken and I were put together because Rod had this idea for a show and he wanted to get the people who could express his ideas through this show or, or, or explore the ideas through this show. You guys come from the opposite end. You guys, like you said, friends for 20 years and what you do on Trek Geeks is as much about that friendship and it's fun and it's funny because you're both hilarious. We've had the, the, the great pleasure of hanging out a lot and getting to know each other. And what you hear on air is very much the reality of you guys hanging out. So if there are people who are hearing this show who are not familiar with Trek Geeks, um, I, I really want to encourage you to go pick that up. There are very personal stories that are told on there. Uh, we've covered some of that with you, Dan. I, I won't rehash all of that because there are excellent podcasts out there that discuss it. Um, but yeah, that, that's something that's really my biggest delight in hearing you guys talk on your show because it is about the, the relationship that you two have. So um, that means a big jerk. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and let's temper that by saying, you know, you, we talk a lot about Star Trek and we do talk about our friendship, but there are times where we essentially just 
cut each other up and, and bust each other's stones. And <laughs> yeah. it's because that's what we do in real life. There are right. plenty yes. of infantile your face jokes um, yes. that we toss about and we're happy to do it because we're having fun. I, I, all right. I like the sound of that. We have a caller standing by. We have Will. Uh, Will, are you there, sir? I am here. Can you hear me? There you are. Hey, Will. How's it going tonight? <laughs> Hey, John, it's it's going great on my end. I, I lost a bit of the uh, mission log life there for a moment. Kind of got out of the loop, but uh, uh, thanks for having me. Listen, I've been listening to the, the Trek Geeks for quite a while. I'm glad you have them on. I'm um, going to start off on the right or wrong foot with them, I think, because, you know, their their pats lost to Miami this week, so that means no no live right. car carrying. Hang up on this guy. Right. Hang up. <laughs> That's it. Get him out of here. <laughs> I can't work in these conditions. <laughs> See that, that's in the true spirit of Trek geeks. So you uh, call it, go for the singer right away. Uh, well, Will, you you were doing so well till you brought up the, the the that horrible horrible ending to that game. That last fourteen seconds of my life. Um, so uh, so it's been great talking to you. Thanks a lot for calling in. Uh, <laughs> no, no, <laughs> yeah, but I'm not the one that called Ken. What's his face? <laughs> oh, oh no! no, I, no, no. He, he called me. No, I called name. John. What's his face? Because yeah. oh, there, there are oh. two great podcasters on Mission Log. There's Ken Ray, uh-huh. and there's the computer. Oh, yeah. Oh, uh-huh. There's this other uh-huh. guy named John Champion, who I, I happen to be wearing a T-shirt of right now. Oh, I'm just gonna, on. I'm gonna inch okay. up on the screen here. Okay, here we go. Yeah. Oh, oh, look at that. Oh. Yeah, and Dan might have the same shirt on. So, um, no, theoretically, oh, you know, it's a quite it's possible. Oh, sure there, we I, there we go. Guys, yeah. I, I hope that you are seeing this on the, uh, on the live show or on the video feed after the fact. Uh, Dan and Bill, uh, because clearly there is something developmentally <laughs> wrong with both of them, uh, decided to create a t shirt based on a photo of me wearing a uh, TNG scant. And uh, I am, it's this cognitive dissonance where I I am both horrified and flattered at the same time. Well, you know, and if you go to the mission log store, it's, it's modeled after the Lieutenant J shirt. Yes. Because that was the direction I gave the Carl, the fabulous gentleman who created Mm -hmm. all of the mission log swag. So he created that one and and we've selected the photo and we just surprised you with it in Vegas. And uh, it was, it was legendary. Uh, that uh, boy, I, there is no reaction. I'm sure the Germans have a word for it, but uh, there was no apt way to describe the feelings that I had when I saw that. The Germans also have tapestries, and that's what I want. The tapestries. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It'll happen. It'll happen. Uh, Will, so now that we've gotten that out of the way, what is on your mind tonight? Thoughts on, uh, on the discussion? Thoughts on disco? On uh, our beloved... Saru. Uh, well, I I heard a callback um, before I got cut off uh, to some TOS episodes, and the reason why I called in was because uh, I want to know if the cat's been let out of the bag. On the last uh, Trek Geeks podcast, they mentioned the uh, doing the voices for uh, these are the voyages by mm. by uh, Vic, and so uh, John, I wanted to know what. What voice did did you voice and what voice do these guys do? Sure. So uh, Vic was very kind to invite me in. Uh, We had kind of a list of names to look at, and I ended up doing two. Um, I I ended up doing... (laughs) (laughs) Oh, bother. I'm John Champion. I'm doing two voices. (laughs) (laughs) I ended up doing uh, Herb Solo. And I, I was very happy to do that. And then Eddie Paskey, because it, oh. there were two that I could play completely differently, even just the, the writing style uh, on how they come across. was just very different. So uh, that, that was a big thrill. And Herb Solo, I could kind of just do like myself. You know, it's not like Bob Justman or Gene, where there's so much recorded audio of them that you feel like you have to sound like them. Uh, with, with Herb, there's really not that much. So, um, yeah. So, so I did it. Uh-huh. What about you guys? What did you do? 
I got to do Gary Lockwood, which was uh, which was really oh. fun. Um, a little wow. intimidating because I've met Gary at conventions, and um, I'm thinking to myself, well, do I try to sound like Gary Lockwood or do I just read the lines as a narrator? And I opted for the latter. Um, I decided to just read the lines, you know, conversationally. And uh, and Vic was was super happy with what I did. Um, I it's not intimidating at all <laughs> to receive direction from a legendary voice actor. Can I just throw that out there? Um, so I'm going, what if, what if this is terrible? What if he comes back and goes, Oh yeah, well uh, we're going to go in a different direction. Right. Um, you know, I just, I felt lucky that, uh, that I got it done and that, that then I got to do Lockwood. Yeah. I, um, I had the uh, distinct honor of, of voicing Jeff Hunter's lines uh, in the, in the book. So I was wow. very excited about that. And unlike Bill who only had to do one take because he's awesome jerk. Um, <laughs> I actually had five takes because I'm not that good, <laughs> but no, I, I had a great time and, and uh, I was, I just moved into my new house and I had a lot of echo in the room cause it didn't have any, anything uh, set on the walls, but uh, it really was great. It was an honor to do it. Uh, thanks sir, for bringing it up. Will. and it was, it was really fun. It was you know, f- for those of you who don't listen to Trek geeks, Dan's relationship with the English language, it's almost like they speed oh, dated for a go. bit in the late nineties <laughs> and they both decided that it wasn't going to work out for either of them. Um, and and that's kind of the relationship that Dan has just with his native tongue thank god he doesn't try any other languages because I'm sure they would just be even worse (laughs) I've heard you talk Dan you can has talk good sometimes thank you very much (laughs) thank you you very much yes I'm I'm looking forward to that book coming out I mean that that was a blast and uh, did Vic play some of the other voices for you when, he, when you're uh, recording, he, he didn't. But you know, he he did tell us lots of behind the scenes stories with like uh, Dorothy Fontana and yes. uh, and Clint Howard, which uh, the Clint Howard yeah. story alone is worth the price of admission. And by the way, Trek Geeks is free to download at trekgeeks.com or wherever you find podcasts are downloaded. <laughs> um, I, so we're never going to be on a Roddenberry show again. They're going to be like, <laughs> what is it with these wild plugs? Um, Rod's over there in the corner going, what? Well, they did what again? <laughs> um, but uh, but no, lots of, Bill yeah, yeah. Yeah, totally. <laughs> lots of great stories, which, uh, which were really the fascinating part. And then once the book is out, Vic's going to come back and, and regale us with more stories because I mean, the guy tells stories like nobody else. Good. Yeah, his uh, uh, his Gene Roddenberry, and it's not Vic doing it. It's actually I want to say it's Ralph who who worked yeah. on uh, continues. Miller, mm-hmm. um, yeah, who is, sound designer. Yep. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. And, and he's not really an actor, but he just he, he heard the voice and and he did it, and it's so entertaining. I cannot wait for people to hear that because it's. Pretty awesome. Then you've got uh, you've got Adam Nimoy, and like you said, you got Dorothy, and you just have all these people that that fit right for the uh, for the story. So yeah, I can't wait. Can't wait for people to hear it. Will you got any other Neither thoughts for I. us tonight? Yeah. Well, well there I, you go. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I know now why the Trek Geeks is an independent podcast and not a Mission Log podcast or a Roddenberry podcast. And uh, and Dan doesn't look quite as good in the Celtic TNG uh, skirt as John does. And on that note, I think I will say thank you for having me. Okay, so so let me get this straight. You diss the Patriots at the beginning of the call, and then you diss me at the end of the call. But at least you listen to Trek Geek, so you're cool. Okay, thanks, buddy. Uh, there you go. <laughs> I'm the only person that got away unscathed. So, uh, Will, great call, buddy. Great call. <laughs> You're welcome, Bill. You're welcome. You're welcome. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Take care, Will. Until next time. Yeah, I, look, Dan, you got you to take the listeners where you can get them. That, that's I, I, hey, that's you wrote the book on that one, pal. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, as, as we do often remind people, we are the second favorite podcast of a lot of attendees of Star Trek Las Vegas. Sometimes third or fourth. Sometimes, sometimes. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that, that's the funny thing. I, I always like to point out to people who, who, who will, you know, they, they have thoughts about Mission Log, which is great. We want our shows a dialogue in the respect that we want to hear people's opinions. We want to we hash out the ideas that are brought up by Star Trek. You guys have a very different angle, a very different purpose in your podcast. And, and you guys told me that, like, you dropped one episode, your very first episode, right? And somebody wrote to you and said, like, you should be more like Mission Log. Yes. Yes. Yeah. No. 
<laughs> yeah. And in fact, we had you on pretty early on in our run. Yeah. Um, yeah. And you were very gracious because you had no idea who we are at that <laughs> point. And now you're like, I'm never going on that show. Again. <laughs> um, and we told you about that. And you're like, yeah, yeah. Okay. That really, that was your first piece of feedback. Yep. First piece of yeah. feedback was you guys, if you want to be a great podcast, you can be more like Mission Log. So that's really our goal every day. Now that we've made it to Mission Log, or at least Mission Log Live, yeah, um, we feel like we, we can coast a little bit. Run. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I feel like every time I hear Mission Log Live, I should say it like Sam Donaldson when, you know, when he was on ABC News or Primetime Live. And that's really a joke for Robert Reyes because I think he's the only one in the audience who will understand it. He would go, Primetime Live. So whenever I hear Mission Log come across my podcatcher, it's Mission Log Live. Live. That's good. Bill, I've been on Mission Log. <laughs> Shut up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's true. It's true. true. Yeah. No, I mean, that, that's a piece of advice that that Ken and I, I most certainly and wholeheartedly agree with him. That's the piece of advice that, that you never want to get, which is always just like, you know what you should do is this. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you should sound more like this, it, it, which look, feedback is always great. It's always very valuable. And, and you need to uh, solicit that and really take it to heart. Um, every writer, every director, they need editors, they need the feedback, they need to go to the people you trust and take their advice very seriously. But when it's the kind of advice that, oh, well, you, you really just should be doing this other thing, uh, it's, boy, that's not helpful in the least. <laughs> you no, know? Not at all. There are no shortage of people who would tell you how you should do a thing. But all that really matters is that you go out and do the thing you want to do the way you want to do it. And that's what we try yes. to do every week. We do the same show we do for two people that we would do for 2,000 or 20,000. Um, yeah. Because we have fun doing it and it's just an extension of our friendship. So, Yeah. Yeah, for real. We have, uh, oh, I, I wonder if this is the same Robert. We have Robert standing by as a caller. Robert, are you there? Robert, talk to me, buddy. All right, we'll we'll give it a second here and see if Robert can join us again, because I think we might get into a Sam Donaldson off. If, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, and, and by the way, Will, very happy now uh, posting the chat room saying, I got him. So, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. I got him. We're going to block all his downloads. The <laughs> <laughs> technology hasn't been invented yet, but that's what's going to happen. Right. All right. It sounds like we've got Robert on the line now. Robert, are you there? Yes, I can. You hear me now? It is we Robert sure Reyes. It is Robert Reyes. Yes. <laughs> yeah, long time listener, first time caller. Um, so I, I did enjoy that Sam Donaldson joke. Thank you for that. <laughs> I, I knew you would, my friend. It's good to hear your voice. Thank you. And in case you're wondering, the sweater color is blue tonight. Um, <laughs> well, yeah, because you know we're we're talking discovery. You got to wear blue. Yeah. Um, so my question is, you're speculating that we may see Saru's home planet again in season two of Discovery, but given that Saru is now a part of Starfleet and he's, he's, he's grown and matured, wouldn't the prime directive sort of prevent him from reuniting and visiting his family and if they visit the planet again? Well, it, it, see, it, yeah. this is the question that I had, which is that, all right, Saru is the one guy who figured it out. Saru is the one guy who could use the technology to reach out to the stars. And fortunately, his message was hello and Starfleet got it. And the message was not, hey, guys, you forgot me to the Baul, because that would have been a whole other thing. <laughs> you know? um, but the uh, the thing is, like, we only had one Zephram Cochran to create warp drive, right? We don't know what else was happening on earth at the time that Zephram Cochran made that, except that people are hanging out in bars and drinking. And there was a lot of devastation and desolation around the planet. So the Vulcans only needed the one guy who created warp drive to then justify going to earth and landing and visiting and saying hello. So, why would it negate Starfleet from reaching out to the rest of the Kelpians just that there is one guy who figured it out? One guy who said, I want to see what else is out there. 
Well, and perhaps they're in danger too. I mean, we know that the red angel or whatever it is that's referenced in the trailer um, comes into play. These sort of red orbs that that sort of appear in various places throughout the galaxy. So um, perhaps, you know, Kaminar is in trouble and maybe Saru defies orders to help his people. We don't know. So mm-hmm. I think it's, I think it's very yeah. plausible. I mean, if Starfleet would give special dispensation to break the prime directive to bring Saru aboard, I'm pretty sure that they'd be willing to save an entire race. And it'll yeah. be interesting to see if they actually, you know, if they actually have that communication. Bill and I talked on our show uh, this week that um, wouldn't it be strange if the father was still alive, but the the sister was taken uh, away by the Baul. I think that would pose a very interesting question. But at the same time, maybe he won't be able to communicate. Maybe he'll be stuck up in a duck boat or a duck blind or whatever it's called. Like they were an insurrection. I'm sorry, duck boats. I have too many Boston championships on my mind, but um, it will be interesting to see how that all plays out. I hadn't actually thought of that, Rob, that um, he may be um, not able to speak with his family. That's a very interesting point. Yeah. Well, my point is more that he would, he would be preventing himself because he would be violating the prime directive that he is so in the Starfleet now and how they do things that he would be conflicted in himself. Does he visit his family or does he uphold these laws and these traditions that he himself has worn an oath to? Well, and that's where great drama comes from, right? Because I mean, how many times have Kirk or Picard or Janeway or Cisco or Archer, well, I guess Archer didn't have a prime directive. He hoped for some kind of directive that was prime. But um, <laughs> how many times have, have our favorite Starfleet officers throughout the last 52 years broken the prime directive to do the right thing? And I have a feeling that could happen. Yeah, no question about it. Robert, any other uh, thoughts for us tonight? Uh, no, that's it. Um, I, I, it's just great to be talking to my second and third favorite podcasters. Um, I'll let you, you figure out who's who. <laughs> I'm number three. I know this. Uh, thank you so much for calling in to Mission Log Live. Live. We've got uh, Kim standing by. Kim, welcome to the show. Hey, it's, it's great to be back. Hey, Excellent. Kim. Welcome. Hey, Kim. Yeah, well, hey, I, I don't have anything to say about the short tracks because I haven't re-upped my CBS All Access yet. And I'm that, not that's fine. You, you are seriously going to enjoy, when you do, catching at least the three that we've seen now and then the fourth, I, I really think you're going to be impressed. Yeah, well, I was waiting because I'm protesting a little bit, but, you know, being a Star Trek fan, I'm going to actually, of course pull the trigger and re, re <laughs> you know, subscribe. But um, and it was great. I, I've been great. It's been great listening to the deconstruction of those. But I, I did definitely want to say to uh, Bill and Dan, I said, the last time you guys were on, I, I do believe Long Live, it turned me on to your podcast. So now I'm listening to your podcast along to all the Roddenberry podcasts. And I'm a member of Camp Kittimer, so. Wow. That's how we get you. I mean, you know, we start small. The first one's free. We want you to tell all your friends. And then we just sort of reel you in. There you go. Uh, and so yeah. you know, we're happy to have you as part of camp and uh and we're glad that you know you're enjoying uh our our piddly little podcast you know that's not on that giant roddenberry network uh, i've heard that name roddenberry i'm not not quite sure what it means but uh, i hear it's fake it's made up made yeah. up. it's fake fake name yeah yeah, yeah well no it's, it's, no, it's great I, I enjoy listening to you guys and uh the other thing is the, the fact that you guys are uh promoting five-year mission um, yes. actually, yeah, I've got all four first four years now. My, you know, my husband doesn't like it because he, he was, he's a music major and a music teacher. And he's like, yeah, they're all in the same key, the same kind of stuff. But I told him, I said, they're telling you a story. You don't get it. Oh. Yeah, that's that's one of the things that I love so much about Five Year Mission is that they tell stories from Star Trek episodes in a different angle than what we expect. Uh, and it's it's they're great listening. They're they're farting great. I love them. <laughs> oh, I see what you did there. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Kim, thanks so much for calling. Yeah. And we'll, we'll 
Oh, we're losing you a little bit. We'll see you next time. Okay. Make sure you call in next time. All right. Till then. All right. So guys, we're, we're coming up to, well, we're coming up to the end of our show, but we're, we're coming up on the, uh, uh, on the the near launch of season two of Discovery, we have one more short to go. I'm just curious, kind of from the bird's eye view, what are your hopes for a season two? Season one, you know, we we got to see all kinds of different Star Trek stories. Season one, as a stylistic piece, wasn't everybody's cup of tea. Um, I'm just curious, you know, from you guys watching the trailers, the teasers, the little tidbits that have come out. What's your expectation? What do you want? Well, you know, we, we have a second podcast called Discovering Trek, which is our dedicated discovering show, uh, discovery show. And on that show, every single episode, we come up with what we think the, the long-range scans are, uh, what we think could happen in the future, whether it be episode or season or maybe even the long arc of the series. And we've been wrong every single time. I'm just going <laughs> to throw that out there. You've so, been wrong. Uh, hey, hey, <laughs> let's, let's not get hurtful. Um, so I tempered that by saying, um, I, what I'm hoping for are, are some really good TOS style adventure stories that have a, 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 a wonderfully human element about them. And I think we're seeing a little bit of that in the trailers. I like the introduction of, of Captain Pike. I think Anson Mount's going to do a great job with him, but I, I think they're getting us back to the Trek we know and love as opposed to a Trek at war. And I, I think that's going to, to open a lot of people's eyes. Yeah, I, I think that as well. One of the things I liked about season one was it was not what we expected. There was war, there was tension. So now that the war is over, I'm looking forward to Discovery season two being more similar to what we saw in this week's short treks, very character driven episodes and back to the adventure of exploration. I think that that's something that Star Trek has always been very strong with in a lot of their episodes. Um, so I think that, that we're going to see that. I'm very excited, uh, as Bill said, about Anson Mount as, uh, as Captain Pike and Rebecca Romaine as number one. I can't wait to see that. And also, Ethan Peck as Spock. Um, we haven't really brought that up very much. I'm really yeah. very interested to see how that's going to be. We got to see a little bit with a commercial that played during uh, uh, NFL a couple of weeks ago uh, where we got to see him with a little humor in his, in his voice and in his face. So uh, we're going to have those, those questions answered. Now, let me, let me step back for a quick second. One of the things that I liked about short treks this week was the writers gave us things that we can chew on and make sense. Like why we only see one Kelpian. They answer the question right. of why we only see one. I think they're going to do the same thing. We're going to see Spock much younger than we're used to seeing him when he's smiling, when he's grabbing blue, uh, blue petals uh, on the planets uh, in, yes. in the cage. So before yes. I put Bill to sleep, I'll just say I'm really looking oh. forward to it. Thanks oh. for joining us. <laughs> oh, so you're stealing oxygen, Davidson. <laughs> no, I, I couldn't agree with you more. I mean, I, I, I love the idea that look, there, there's this, common understanding of what a character like Spock is like. You know, oh, well, he's the, the non-emotional character that is always second banana to Kirk. Uh, he's the smartest guy in the room. But you take a moment like Spock smiling when he's touching the flowers on Talos 4, and a, a clever writer can go, huh, what was on that character's mind? What got him to that point? Mm -hmm. And what changed after that point that made him the character that we all know from, you know, 25 years hence. Right. So I love that Discovery is able to do this, and particularly these short treks are able to do this, where you find just a single idea and really explore it in depth. Uh, I, I, look, I enjoyed season one of Discovery, despite some problems that I had with it, uh, which mm -hmm. I'm sure we'll circle back around to in 10 years on Mission Log when we do our deep dive. <laughs> um, but overall, it's a, it's a really strong show. I think it really benefits from these shorts that uh, that allows us to sort of relax a minute, catch our breaths, and just really get into a heavy character idea, really get into a deep sci-fi idea, as they did, you know, a week ago. And and who knows what the next one is going to bring? Well, the next one's going to bring Harry Mudd. Mm -hmm. I don't know what you guys feel about Harry Mudd, but uh, yeah, we we, we I'll, I'll watch it. Yes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, a space pimp, uh, you know, of the nefarious kind. Um, I, I like the turn that the Rain Wilson gave him in Discovery uh, more so than I like the writing for the uh, the Carmel character in the 60s. So we'll see. Yeah. Yeah. 
indeed. Guys, I cannot thank you enough for joining us tonight. And uh, thanks to the, the listeners and the viewers. I apologize. We had some, uh, uh, some streaming issues with Facebook. So all of you who jumped over to YouTube, thanks. And all of you who are catching the show later, thanks. Uh, we'll be back again, of course, every Tuesday night at 7 o'clock. And of course, you can find the Trek Geeks at trekgeeks.com and on Twitter at Trek Geeks Bill and at Trek Geeks Dan. Did I get that right? Uh, close. Singular. Trek Geek Bill and Trek Geek Dan. Oh, there Trek Geek Bill, Trek Geek Dan. In the meantime, Mission Log is produced by Roddenberry Entertainment. Executive producer, Rod Roddenberry. Technical production on Mission Log Live is by Infinity Networks. Producer, Brandon Bradley. And we'd love it if you'd check out the Mission Log shop. Just go to missionlogpodcast.com and click on shop. Our classic and new designs are there for your very own custom Trek-ish gear. Be sure to visit podcast.roddenberry.com for the latest from the Roddenberry Podcast Network, including not just Mission Log, but Mission Log Live, Women at Work, Priority One, and the Trek Files. Thank you to everyone who joined us live or later, and we will talk to you next week. Podcast.roddenberry.com, the Roddenberry Podcast Network.